Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you so much. It's good to be with you this morning. I always hate bios. Um, my name's Tim Beavis. I serve the Lord, and I am grateful to be here with you this morning, and that's what you need to know, uh, rather than those other things. Uh, as you heard, I have the privilege of, uh, of serving alongside my wife, Lisa, and uh, we've been uh, walking together with the Lord now for um, these past 20 years, and the Lord has been so gracious in allowing us to serve Him in many places around the world. But uh, this morning, I am grateful that the Lord has brought me here to Bakersfield, California, my first time in uh, your uh, beautiful city here. I enjoyed seeing the hills and the backdrop because Illinois, no hills. Flat, dull, boring. But as we prepare to open God's words together this morning, which is uh, the reason for which I've come, I pray that uh, uh, that together uh, we will be strengthened, sharpened, and encouraged by it. And so with that in mind, would you join me in just bowing your heads and hearts one more time as we seek the Lord for that. Father God, we are so thankful for your goodness and faithfulness and steadfast love. We thank you that you have called each of us here this morning for a purpose, that none of us are here by mistake or by accident, but that you have something that you will accomplish in and through us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us soft hearts, open eyes, ears that are ready to hear, And I pray that not one of us would leave here this morning the same as which we arrived, but that all would be strengthened, all would be encouraged, all would be changed as we sit now under the teaching of your word. We ask this with thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I travel to different places, uh, I have the privilege of teaching in a number of different churches, and uh, some time ago now, I was at a church uh, that a friend of mine is the pastor of, and it's, it's an old, uh, um, traditional-style church building, and he was showing me around the building there, and as he was showing me around, um, I noticed that there was this big brass plaque that was on the floor. And engraved in the plaque was somebody's name. And so I asked uh, this friend of mine uh, uh, about this person, about this person's name. And, and he said, you know, nobody around here knows anything about him. Probably some rich guy who used to attend here. And uh, that's about all we know. And, and, you know, that got me thinking how sad that was that this man's story had been lost. Indeed, he had probably been a faithful member of that congregation, had probably been used by the Lord in many different ways, and uh, been in a position to be very generous there to the church and its ministries, but that story had been lost. And it reminded me of the fact that we live in a world, we live in a culture that 
uh, is made up with, with this, this common goal, this common vision that many people have, and that is that they want to in some way live a kind of life as to leave a mark, as to make a difference. Probably most of us, especially as we are young and we're kind of looking at the future before us, want to be engaged in something of significance. In fact, there's, there's such a hunger that people have for this that some people do all sorts of crazy things in order to leave a mark, to make a, a name for themselves. If you've ever looked at the Guinness Book of World Records, you'll know that people do some insane things to try to break a record in order to have their name written in this book but also with the understanding that probably a few years later somebody else will come along and do it better or quicker or faster or using more whatever and broke that record again. There are other people who, who are in the position to, uh, to be very generous with their finances. And so if you go to a local hospital, for example, you will probably find plaques on the wall where a, a ward or a wing or an entire building has been dedicated in that person's name. This idea that they want to leave a legacy. Others have a dream of, of writing a book, of getting published so that their name can be out there. Some people just want to be famous, and so they, they, they try to do all sorts of things on, on, on Facebook or on YouTube or on TikTok or whatever it may be because they are seeking to make a name for themselves. But you know, for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, our goal in life is not so much to make a name for ourselves, and yet there is a sense that not dissimilar to that kind of idea that is so prevalent in our culture, we ought to, in fact, we are called to live our lives in such a way now that it does leave a lasting legacy that should the Lord tarry, will continue on even beyond this life. The Apostle Paul was just a matter of months before being put to death because of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ when he wrote the letter that we call Second Timothy. In it, he's writing to a young pastor, not surprisingly, by the name of Timothy. And as he writes to him, this is perhaps the most personal of Paul's letters. And he, he wants to encourage, he wants to strengthen this young pastor. He, he warns him to be on guard against some who might lead astray in false teaching. He warns him to be prepared to, in a sense, do battle, to stand firm for truth and to not be ashamed of the gospel. And as he writes this letter, he has in the front of his mind this desire that Timothy would seek to do as Paul had sought to do, and that was to live in such a way as to leave a living legacy behind him. And so this, though this letter was written some 2,000 years ago, 
it actually has a great deal to say to us this morning. And I want to look at just really a few verses in the New Testament book of 2 Timothy and in chapter 2. If you have a Bible with you, and I certainly hope you do, I want to encourage you to join me there as we look at this together, as we learn something of what it looks like to live in such a way as to leave a legacy that lasts far beyond our lives. Because here's the incredible news. It doesn't matter how much money or how little money we may have. It doesn't matter how much education or how little formal education we may have. It doesn't matter what our job situation or our family environment is. If we're a follower of Jesus Christ, we have this common calling in Him. And the wonderful thing is that we have a Savior who delights to use all of His people as His name is glorified among all the nations. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we read these words. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Just two verses, but actually there's a tremendous amount in here. And what we see, first of all, is that if we are to live in such a way as to leave a living legacy, we, we need to understand that we, if indeed you're in Christ, that we are recipients of the grace of Jesus Christ and that we are to be strengthened by it. The idea here, as he starts off, well, we, we see this, this kind of personal, this intimate relationship that, that Paul and Timothy have as he addresses him, you then, my, my child. But, but then he, he says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And, and this idea of being strengthened is quite literally to, to be empowered, and it's an ongoing and deliberate thing. Now, I got to tell you that uh, I hate working out. I have a gym membership, and every time I go to the gym, there is this one young woman who works there at the desk, and when I get done, I get ready to leave, and she says, so, did you enjoy your workout today? And I think to myself, I'm not here because I enjoy it. I'm here because it's supposed to be good for me. I, I hate working out. And one of the worst things about working out is you have, to keep on, you have to keep on doing it. I mean, wouldn't it be great if you could just go to the gym and you could kind of work out just once and say, that, that's it, I'm done for the year. But we know that that's not how it works. In fact, in everything in life that we want to grow and develop in, we know that there has to be a deliberate ongoing and intentional effort that is put into it. If you want to learn a language, you have to practice. You have to continually put yourself in an environment where you can practice and use that language that you're learning in order to develop in strength. Uh, if you want to play an instrument, uh, you cannot pick up a guitar or sit down at a piano and just start playing like a virtuoso. You need to practice, practice, practice. 
Some of us remember when we were back in grade school and we were starting to learn the multiplication tables and we were thinking, I'm never going to need these things. And our parents drilled it into us. No, you've got to practice. You've got to keep at it because as you keep at it, the more you practice, the stronger that you get and the quicker you can bring these things to mind as you develop. And it's interesting because Paul here starts off and he says, be strengthened, and then he goes on to talk about what it is he's to be strengthened by. He says, you, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's a very interesting instruction that's given to Paul, is given to, to us, to get strengthened by grace. Now, grace is one of those words that we use a whole lot in church. If you spend any time around church, you've probably heard grace talked about a lot. We sing about grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. One of those words we use a lot. It's not always one of those words that we stop and really spend a lot of attention thinking about. Some have defined grace as God's riches at Christ's expense. And I think that overall that's a a, a pretty good, good definition of grace. But what does this really mean? Because you see, it seems to me if we're instructed to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, that it sure would help if we actually understood what that means. How do we get strengthened by something that that, that we don't really grasp? But if we were to take the time to move all the way through the New Testament this morning, one of the things that we would see is that God's grace, the grace that is in Christ Jesus, is always most gloriously declared and demonstrated in the gospel itself. And in fact, right here within the context of 2 Timothy chapter 2, if we go back just a few verses into chapter 1, we see Paul pointing Timothy to this idea. In fact, in verse 8 of chapter 1, he tells Timothy that he ought not to be ashamed of the gospel, even though Paul is in chains for the sake of the gospel. Timothy ought not to be ashamed. But then he goes on to explain what this gospel of grace is. And if you look with me here at chapter 1, beginning verse 9, we, we see that the gospel is, is that, that God has saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, on which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And so we have there Paul, in a sense, giving a nutshell of the gospel of which Timothy ought not to be ashamed, a nutshell of the gospel of grace that Paul has preached and for which he is now in chains. And now we have Paul in chapter 2 saying, be strengthened by this grace. And so if we are to understand what this is really about, it's helpful if we, if we kind of, in a sense, break down what he's talking about there so that we can understand the essence of this gospel of grace, that we can be reminded of it so that we can be strengthened by it. 
if we look at each of the elements that Paul describes here, beginning in chapter 1, verse 9, we see that, first of all, he says that God has saved us. Now, I already mentioned that grace is one of those words that we use a lot in church without necessarily thinking about it a whole lot. If you want another one of those kind of Christian words, saved is just is definitely one of them, right? There are some people who say, I've been saved. What does that mean? Well, when we talk about the gospel of grace, when we, when we talk about being saved, the fact that God has saved us, the first thing that we need to understand is that it reminds us of the truth that there was something from which we needed to be saved from. Uh, somebody who is, is doing just fine has no need of being rescued. But the reality is that Scripture makes abundantly clear that Every single one of us, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, is in a desperate and hopeless and helpless situation that we have been separated from the immortal God because of our sin, because of our treachery and rebellion against Him, and that there is nothing but nothing that we can do in order to try to earn our way back to God. But here's the wonderful thing. What we could not do for ourselves, Christ has done for us. And and so the gospel of grace starts with this reality of the fact that we were desperate and without hope and without God in the world, as Ephesians chapter 2 talks about. But, but, God in His Grace has given the Lord Jesus Christ to make a way for all who believe in Him to be saved. That's grace. That's grace. It goes on to talk about the fact that He has called us. It says he, God has saved us and called us to a holy calling. You see, uh, God has not only rescued us from our sins, provided forgiveness of our sins, but He has actually given us a new identity, a new calling, a new purpose. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are not who you once were. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And, and, And so we have this holy calling. Think about this. The God of the universe has declared over you that you are holy, beloved, forgiven, precious, beautiful, delightful that you belong to Him. That's grace. More than that, it goes on. Not only has he saved us, not only has he called us to a a holy calling, but we see Paul telling us here that this is not because of works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus. Not because of works, but because of his own purpose and grace. It's been said that the only thing that you and I contribute to our salvation is the sin from which we need to be saved. 
I want you to understand there will never be a single person who will stand in the presence of a holy God and say, here I am, God. Look at me. Aren't you lucky to have me here? There will never be a single person who will pull out their resume and say, hey, God, look at this. Look where I got my education. Look what I... No, not at all. It's one of the reasons I'm not a big fan of bios. Because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. But here's the glorious truth. We come before a holy God. Not because of anything that we have done but purely because of grace. More than that, he continues, he says, not only is this not of our works, but, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he's given us in Jesus before the ages began, which has now been manifested through the appearing of his, our Savior, Christ Jesus. But look, he goes on to say, this Jesus Christ has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. What does that mean? It means that there's no more fear. I mean, think about this just for a moment. Uh, this means that, that death has been dealt with. Now, all you've got to do is open the newspaper and you'll find a long list of obituaries. We know that as we look around us, that people still die. For some, this past year and a half with COVID has been a fearful time. For some, it has been a reminder of the brevity and the uncertainty of this life. But here is the incredible truth. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we have in him a Savior and a Lord who has conquered death, who has taken on death, who died and was buried and who rose again victorious and now who holds the keys of, of death and hell in the palm of his hand. And he did that for us. That's grace. That's grace. Now everything I've just talked about in the last few minutes is probably familiar to most of us. And it's good to revisit some of these elements of this glorious gospel of grace. But how does that help us with this command to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Well, think about this for just a moment. It started off and it said, He has saved us. The scriptures are abundantly clear. Romans 8, chapter 1 reminds us of this. There is therefore... Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What does it mean? How do we get strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus? We start off by being reminded of the fact that we have a God who, because of his grace, has saved us. Therefore, we are not condemned any longer. The God of the universe has declared you forgiven and innocent and righteous in his sight. And I've got to tell you, as I travel from place to place, one of the most grievous things that I see is those who name the name of Jesus Christ and yet continue to live under this weight of guilt and shame 
and condemnation because we have an enemy who loves to whisper in our ears, you're not good enough. Yeah, forgiveness is available, but not not for you. Not because of what you've done. Yeah, it is for others, but not you. God could never use anyone like you. But the gospel of grace reminds us that God himself has initiated and intervened and given his son in order to save us. And today, friends, maybe you need simply to hear and be strengthened by this truth that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there is nothing that you have done. There is nothing that has been done to you that disqualifies you from God's lavish love and goodness. And if you are feeling a weight of guilt or of shame, God would have you take it off and leave it once more at the foot of the cross because Christ has borne it on your behalf. We talked about the fact that not only has he saved us, but he's called us to this holy calling. We talked about this fact that we have a new identity in Christ. Well, how does this help to strengthen us in the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Well, think about this. That means that we now have a belonging and a purpose. Some of us have grown up in an environment where we feel like nothing we ever did could ever be good enough. Maybe you had a parent who you felt like you could never satisfy. Didn't matter if you got straight A's, didn't matter if you worked hard, didn't matter if you, they always seemed to want something more. Maybe you had an older sibling and you never felt that, they me, that you measured up. Maybe there's been something else. Maybe you found yourself in a situation where it seems like as you look around, everybody else seems to always fit in seems to always have a little group that they belong to. And for whatever reason, as you look, you've always felt, but what about me? Where do I fit? Where, where do I belong? The glorious grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is that God himself says, you belong, you belong with me. You belong to me. You are mine. You have a purpose. You have a family You have an identity in me. And for people who are weary and at times who feel hopeless and helpless and without a sense of direction, the gospel of grace reminds us that you are loved with an everlasting love. And that there is nothing that you could ever do which would cause God to love you any more than he already does. And nothing that you could ever do that would cause him to love you any less. Because you, in Christ, are his. The gospel of grace not only says that as we saw, he not only saved us, he not only called us, but but this is not as a result of our works, but because of his grace, that means that there's no more striving. Do you know how exhausting it is to try to keep a long list of rules? 
Do you know how tiring it is to try to measure up to somebody else's standard? Many of us who name the name of Jesus Christ still carry around this kind of list of rules, and we feel like we have to perform. In fact, some of us, if we are brutally honest, have this idea that, well, yeah, God loves me, but I don't think he likes me very much. You know, it's almost like he's on the hook. It's like, well, I guess I said I'd save anyone who believes in Jesus, but really, what am I going to do with this one? And we have this idea that the only way that we can win God's approval is by doing the right stuff. And so we've got this list, and sometimes this list is really good stuff. It may be that you're here this morning more out of obligation than out of a desire to be. And you know what? That's okay. It's okay because, because God has a purpose for you being here this morning. But for some of us, we've got this list of things. is go to church, put some money in the pot, uh, do a Bible study, check this off, you know, help the little old lady across the street, whatever it may be. But we have this list of things that we feel like we are supposed to be doing. And, and none of those things are bad. Unless the little old lady doesn't really want to cross the street and then just leave her alone. But none of those things are bad. But when we try to make them the basis on which we are engaged in a relationship with Christ, we have to be on guard. And as Paul gives this instruction, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I want you to hear this. Because it is not of our works, but purely because of His grace. There's no more striving you don't need to strive anymore. Christians ought not to be the most exhausted people on the block. But sometimes we've bought into a lie that says that that's exactly who we should be. He saved us, He's called us, not by our own works, and He has abolished death. And when we think of what it is to be strengthened by this grace that is in Christ Jesus, to, to fix our eyes on the splendor of the gospel and who Christ is and what he has done, it is the reminder for us today of the fact that since we have a Savior who has abolished death, who has conquered death, then that is a reminder that, that when we step through the curtain of this life, we get to enter instantly into the presence of our Savior. There is nothing to fear. And if we do not need to fear even death, then what left is there to fear? Friends, as I think back on this last year and a half, I think one of the great tragedies that has happened in much of the church across our land is that many have given in to fear. And in some ways that's understandable because there's been a lot of uncertainty. 
What's going to happen with my job? What's going to happen with the economy? What's going to happen with my health? What's going to happen with the health of loved ones? We've never been through anything like this before. And yet God has remained on the throne. None of this has taken him by surprise. As I had to encourage some people in my own church, there's not one single person who has died this past year for whom it wasn't God's time. And while we may not understand all of that this side of eternity, we can know that if we have a Savior who has conquered death on our behalf, that we have nothing left to fear. We have a resource. We have one that we can go to over and over again that whatever circumstance or situation we may be in, whatever you're going through today, whatever you're going to face tomorrow or next week, whatever is exhausting or fearful for you, that this God who delights in you stands ready to give peace and comfort and strength. And here that brings us back again to this instruction in chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. How do we do that? How do we get strengthened? I've already mentioned that this is an ongoing, deliberate, intentional, repetitive thing, just like working out at the gym. If we want to build those muscles, we've got to keep on doing it. How do we get strengthened? Keep drinking deeply of the gospel of grace. It's been said that we ought to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. You know, sometimes, sadly, we act as if we already know stuff, or we think of the gospel of being the message about Christ and what He has done that somebody who doesn't yet know Him needs to believe in order that they might be saved, and certainly that's true. But the gospel of grace is as much for those of us who have been walking with Christ for 10, 20, 30, 50 years or more as it is for the one who has not yet responded. We need to drink deeply of it so that we can be strengthened by it. We need to remind ourselves of these gospel truths. The problem is that what we often find ourselves doing is growing weary and forgetful. Imagine for a moment that we were to go out uh, for brunch after our service today. And we were to find an all-you-can-eat buffet. I don't know if there are any of them because nobody wants buffets anymore, right? But we found an all-you-can-eat buffet, and we went in, and, and, and we stuffed ourselves silly with this food. We just kept on eating and eating and eating until we couldn't eat anymore. Now, for some of us, we'd be hungry again by about 3 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, for, for others, you know, we'd be like, I don't want to eat anything until tomorrow. But what we would discover is that it wouldn't take very long before we started to feel weak. I mean, like if we didn't eat anything again for the rest of the week, then probably we would find that by like Wednesday that we're struggling. That by Thursday afternoon, we're fading. But here's the thing, so often as followers of Jesus Christ, we have this idea that we gather together on a Sunday morning, we 
pig out on a good meal that the pastor serves up for us from God's word. And then that's it for the week. We don't need to eat again until next Sunday. And here's the thing. We find ourselves on Wednesday afternoon and we're facing a a trial. We're facing something difficult. We don't really know what to do with it and we feel weak. We're facing a temptation on Thursday morning and we feel like we've got no way out from it. On Friday, we try to pray, but it just feels like our prayers are kind of bouncing off the ceiling and we feel spiritually depleted. Paul's instruction to Timothy here is be strengthened and keep on being strengthened. Drink deeply of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pastors always say, read the Bible more, pray more. That's not what I want to say. Yes, we need to get in God's word. We need to remind ourselves of these truths. But let me ask you this. What could you do Later on today, what could you do each day this week which would help you to think on and to dwell on who you are in Christ? Uh, What could you do to maybe just make that little shift in your day in order to remind yourself of the greatness of who God is, the splendor of what Christ has done for you, and who you now are in Christ? in order that you might begin to be strengthened. What does all of this have to do with the question that I asked earlier or the statement that I made about leaving a living legacy, kind of living in such a way that as as to leave a mark that lasts far beyond this life? Well, you see, this is only half of Paul's instruction to Timothy. You'll be happy to know that was the longer half. But as he goes on, He says in chapter 2, verse 1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. But then in verse 2, he says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so what we see here is that as recipients of the grace of Jesus Christ, we are, yes, to be strengthened by it, but if we're to leave a living legacy, then as we are strengthened, we need to know that we have also been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ in order to invest ourselves in making generations of disciples. What do I mean by that? Well, his instruction is first of all, Timothy, be strengthened. And then, taking what you have been strengthened by, pass it on to others. Paul here talks to Timothy and he instructs him about the responsibility that we have as stewards of the gospel. In fact, uh, there's a word that he uses here in this passage, and it's the word entrust. And if we were to take time to study through the whole book of 2 Timothy, we would discover that the word entrust or entrusted is a key word in this letter, and actually it's a financial term. Uh, to, to be entrusted with something is to take something that belongs to another and to invest it in a way as to gain the greatest return. And so it's kind of like a banking term. So a manage, a, a, an owner would entrust a manager or a steward with his goods 
but he would do so for the purpose of that steward, that manager, then investing them to gain a return. And that's precisely what Paul is talking about here. And I I love this because it reminds us of the fact that we are stewards, not owners. Did you know that God has never given up ownership of anything? Our time, our our talents, our, our, our treasures, even our very breath is on loan to us from God. He owns it all. And that's also true of the gospel. Sometimes we have this idea of the fact that we have received the gospel and it's for us. But that's not the case. God has given to us. He has allowed us to receive the gospel that we might, yes, be strengthened by this gospel of grace, but in taking then what we have been strengthened by to pass it on to others. And i got to tell you, I love the picture that we see here. In fact, we see Paul talking about these four generations of disciples here being made. He says, uh, um, what you, Timothy, have heard from me, Paul, in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Four generations. Four generations here. A couple of years ago now, I was in um, Sri Lanka and uh, I was uh, there involved in, in, in some of the work that we do with pastoral training, and, and uh, I, I met on one particular day a young man, and uh, as we were talking, uh, he, I discovered that he had only been a, a believer for around about a year or so, and uh, as we were talking, somebody came through the door at the back of the room, and he turned around and he saw this and said, oh, pastor, pastor, I want to introduce you to this person. I shared the gospel with them, and now I'm discipling them. And I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty good. You know, this guy's been a believer for a year. and he did. Well, now there's three of us all talking together. A few minutes later, the door opened again, and, and, and somebody came in, and now the second person was so excited. He said, oh, pastor, I want to introduce you to someone. I shared the gospel with him, and, 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 and now I'm discipling him. I thought, wow, it's amazing. I kid you not, a few minutes later, the door opened, another guy came in, and now that third person, he said, Pastor, I want to introduce you to someone. I shared the gospel with him, and now I'm discipling him. And I thought to myself, how long would I have to stand around before four generations of people that I have poured into would walk through that door? I love this picture here because, you see, it reminds us of the splendor of God's grace Not one of us is here this morning by chance. Somewhere along the line, because God has been gracious and merciful to us, He has allowed somebody in our life who has shared with us the good news of the gospel. Maybe it's it's the pastor. Uh, Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a parent. But somebody. And you know what? If you trace that back, somebody before them and somebody before them and somebody before them, all the way back to Timothy and Paul and Others, people who had been strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and said, wait a second, the fact that God has been so gracious to me is not just for me. It's for the purpose, yes, that I would be strengthened, but also that I might use what I've been strengthened by to help strengthen others.
Scripture speaks of the Christian life as being like a race. It's not a sprint. Sometimes people will talk about it as being like a marathon. And certainly we are to persevere. But you know what? I love to think of the Christian life as a different sort of race. A relay race. Now, I've already told you that I hate working out, so I try to avoid racing as much as possible. I'm a firm believer in keeping the words of Proverbs, the, which, uh, which declare that the, uh, uh, the wicked run when no one is pursuing them. Uh, it's a life verse for me. I try to avoid running in order to be consistent with God's Word. Um, but uh, if you know anything about relay races, um, uh, maybe you ran in one when you were in school. Maybe you love watching the Olympics coming up again this summer. They have the, the race there. But if you know anything about a relay race, you know that there are certain things as a relay runner that you have to understand in order to be effective. One of those is that, uh, that you cannot run a relay on your own. It doesn't work. kind of defeats the object. You have to run with others. Uh, another thing you need to understand is, is that it's, it's about passing a baton. Right? You remember the, the baton? But if you want to be an effective relay runner, then you do not run as fast as you can, and as you're approaching your teammate, take your baton and hurl it and hope that they will catch it. You know, sometimes, as believers, that's kind of our approach. It's like, hey, let's do drive-by evangelism here and hope that we hit somebody. Uh, That's not how you run a relay race. You also have to understand, if you're in a relay race, you do not run as fast as you can as you're approaching your teammate. You slam on the brakes and gently hand over the baton. That's not how you win. Rather, that there is a moment in a relay race where every runner understands that both the one who's passing the baton and the one who's receiving the baton have to run together. Folks, that's the Christian life. That's what Paul is talking about here. That's what it looks like to invest ourselves in such a way as to leave a living legacy. That yes, we run. And yes, we must be prepared and we must be equipped. And each day as we run, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Get in the word. Encourage your heart. Seek the Lord. Get in fellowship with one another that we might remind ourselves of the greatness of who God is, the splendor of what Christ has done and our new identity in Him. And having been strengthened, recognize that we have the high and holy calling to be a people who do not keep that for ourselves but that we go home and we sit around our table with our grade school children. And we say, you know what? I've been so encouraged by this truth of the gospel. I want to share it with you because I long for you to be strengthened by this same grace. Or we go to work on a Monday morning And I know it's hard in a work environment, but you recognize that God has placed you where he has placed you in your school, in your college, in your workplace, around a group of people who God has placed there also. And maybe it's a matter of going and saying, you know, we had this guy with a weird accent at church yesterday. But there was something 
that he said, and I don't know what you're going through right now, but this really encouraged me, and I just want to share it with you because maybe it'll encourage you as well. Maybe there's somebody else here in this church as you look around and you have been walking with Christ for longer than they have. And as you look around, God would have you take some time out to get together with them for coffee and just say, hey, I'd love to share with you some of what God's been doing in my life. Or maybe you feel like you've got a long way to go and as you look around, you feel like everybody else is so much further on than you are. And I know that this can be hard to do, but maybe you need to reach out to someone and say, hey, listen, um, I see some things in your life that are encouraging to me. I see that you have something in your relationship with God that I would love to have in my life. Would you be willing to get together with me sometimes and help me to get strengthened in this grace. Friends, how amazing it is that we have a God who has been so gracious to us. Though we are undeserving, He has lavished His grace upon us. Here's the thing. We could go through our lives seeking to break a record and get our name put in the Guinness Book of World Records. We could go through our lives with a goal in mind and to make as much money as we can so that we can give as much to this or that or the other. We could go through life trying to get our name in print. We could pursue all of those sorts of things. We could become a TikTok sensation. I don't even know what that is. Or, or we could run in such a way that should the Lord tarry, that even when our life is past and we are in the presence of Christ, that there is a long line of people behind us whose names we may never know, but whose lives in some way bear our fingerprints because having been strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, we took time to pass on to others who would pass on to others who would pass on to others something of the splendor of that grace. My prayer for us is that we would be those kind of Christians and that we would leave a legacy a living legacy that so impacts the lives of others that our name would not be the one that is remembered, but that the name of Jesus Christ would be declared through the way that we have run and passed the baton. Would you pray with me? We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.